Welcome to Agents of Nothing, an episode-by-episode recap and analysis from the perspectives of a veteran and a new recruit. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. Morning, agents, and welcome to our Agents of Shield podcast. We are your commanding officers. I'm Mariah, and I'm Caroline. And today we're going to be talking about season two, episode two. Heavy is the head. All right. So, Mariah, how was your week? Well, I didn't really do much of anything, but it was it was fine. How was yours? <laughs> um, mine was good. I can walk again finally. Woo! Yay! Yeah. Um, and I found out that I do have friends other than Mariah <laughs> because they came to my half surprise birthday party. <laughs> um, and look, I don't know how many of y'all have had to like make new friends as an adult, but it's really fucking hard. <laughs> so it was super validating to have several people who actually wanted to like even go to a party for me, much less having people actually make time to come. So it was really nice. And David did a really amazing job planning it and then, like, adjusting to last-minute changes that ended up happening. And Yeah. And one of my friends showed me, like, the group chat that he had set up to, like, plan this whole thing. And he, he had, like, such an elaborate plan. He wanted everybody to, like, show up, like, five minutes (laughs) <laughs> like at all different times, like five minutes apart and like bring different party stuff. So it was really cool. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. I'm so glad. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into this episode. Let's so this episode was written by Paul Zibachevsky and directed by Jesse Bocho. Bocho? Bochko. Bok Choi. Bok Choi. Yes. That's, That's yeah. the way. Um, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) So, uh, in this episode, we meet, uh, Mac, who is new to me. Uh, y'all met him last time, but I thought that he and Creole (laughs) were the same person. So, he's new to me. (laughs) We meet the British Hydra guy, and even if he hadn't had a name, he wouldn't deserve one. Okay? So... (laughs) done um and then fucking zabo are you are you kidding me that i can't i can't write anything better than that his name is zabo (laughs) yeah i don't know what's up with that name but okay um so we pick up where we left off with hunter the lone survivor in the car crash his door is jammed shut and his leg is pinned so he can't get out. May appears and tries to help, but he insists that she leave him and go catch up to Creel, who has the obelisk. She finally agrees as other soldiers are approaching, but she leaves him an extra gun, or apparently like a laser chainsaw thing. (laughs) Um, He cuts his door and is finally able to get out just in time to get arrested by the army. Yay! Woohoo! So May is like threading through traffic on her new motorcycle looking for Creel and while she's doing that she's updating Coulson on the scene where she left Hunter. She assures Coulson that Hunter was trying to save Hartley. He wasn't just trying to like upend the mission. May finally catches up to Creel. He's in a stolen truck and she closes in on him. Coulson keeps trying to order her not to engage, and after explaining that he wants to have Creel followed to see who he answers to, May finally agrees and puts her gun away. But she's not happy about it. Skye and Trip are back at the base with their new Quinjet, and Skye is worrying about Hartley and the gang because she can't get a hold of them. Trip says, no need to think the worst until it shakes your hand and says hello. <laughs> I love that. It's good advice. <laughs> it is. Thank you, Trip. <laughs> Sometimes those fortune cookies really do it. <laughs> anyway, um, so Coulson comes up to them and he congratulates them on getting the side... Uh, on getting the side note. Getting the side note. Coulson congratulates them on getting the Quinjet. And side note, why is it called that? Is it Quinn as in like quintuplets? Does it have five of something? Or did like Ian Quinn invent it? <laughs> so I had to go and fetch it, but this... 
this is the kind of practical explanation I want from my comic book media. Thank you. This is what I was looking for with the icers. <laughs> so shout out to MCU Wiki for this. Give it to me. So in the comics, the Quinjet was originally an Avengers exclusive vehicle designed by Black Panther. So with Ooh. like Wakandan technology. Um, that's not the case in the MCU necessarily, but that's where it originated in the comics. Of course it was whitewashed. <laughs> And it got its name from the five jet thrusters used for primary propulsion. Ah, okay. And then what's more, the Quinjet is a unique hybrid wing aircraft with similar flight capabilities as modern VTOL aircraft and serves as a personnel transport and versatile attack vehicle. The Quinjet is able to reach high speeds through two powerful jet engines located at the rear of the ship. It possesses two large, angle-adjustable rotors, one house in each wing, which grants the aircraft its vertical takeoff and landing capabilities. The Quinjet also has adjustable wingtips that can be angled down to intensify the lift of the wing rotors and modify the movement of the ship. This gives the Quinjet unprecedented maneuverability as it can make full stops mid-air, hover in place, and make incredibly tight turns compared to conventional aircraft. <laughs> do I understand what most of that means? <laughs> Absolutely, I do not. No. Am I delighted to have the information? Absolutely, I yes. am. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was everything that I wanted to know. <laughs> also, what's a VTOL? I have no fucking clue. Okay. <laughs> Somebody email us if you know the answer to that. <laughs> I really had to get creative with the fun facts because I don't know, this was sort of a sparse episode. Yeah. So I had to go I had to go out and search for things to talk about. You went above and beyond and we appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, back to it. So Colson tells them to give the specs to Mac so that they can reverse engineer the cloaking tech for the bus. Once they're alone, Sky tells Coulson that the obelisk had symbols on it, just like the ones that she's been researching for him, and that Hartley seemed to trigger it by touching it. Coulson gives her a good job and starts walking away, but Sky stops him. She's confused why they aren't immediately jumping on this information, since she's been literally combing the planet for answers on these symbols for months. Coulson tells her that Hunter has been captured, and if he talks, they'll have to burn their base and start over somewhere else, which sucks because they just retiled the bathrooms. <laughs> Hunter gets pulled out of a nondescript car trunk and left in a random field <laughs> by some soldiers. Um, and as the car drives away, an Air Force helicopter lands nearby, and Talbot hops out to greet him and offer him a lift. Is that all necessary? Right. Like That seemed... A little extra. You couldn't just, Glenn. like, hold him in a cell and have this conversation there? Right. <laughs> okay. Sure. He, he Why not? Had to be, he had to be a little extra, you know? We see you, Glenn. So back at the playground, Mac is digging into the cloaking device while Sky and Trip watch. Sky comments that Fitz would be devastated if he knew what they were doing. He's been working on cloaking since before Simmons left. Whew. And there is some animosity towards Simmons for leaving. Wow. And not just leaving Fitz, but leaving all of them. They're all very upset, and I understand. <laughs> but Coulson wanted Fitz to be the one to design their own version of the cloaking tech because he's the only one who could make a retro version of it that wouldn't be detected by the army or anyone else. Fitz comes up just then, and he wants to help. He clearly recognizes the pieces and what needs to be done. He just can't get the right words to come out of his mouth. The others watch him struggle and try to gently encourage him, but... Eventually, Fitz gets too frustrated and says that they should just handle it without him. I I can relate so much to what Fitz is going through, and it's so painful to watch. Yeah. I mean, you guys hear me when I'm on with a script and editing, but on my bad days, I look and sound a lot like Fitz does in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely had that specific sensation where I have the words but they're like just out of reach yeah. I can remember a specific instance where I was talking to someone and the sentence that I was just about to say just disappeared mm. like right before I was about to say it yeah and I I got so frustrated I started crying 
and they were like, it's okay. Like, it's okay that you forgot. I'm like, but I wanted to say it. I wanted to say it and it's gone. It's like, it doesn't even matter if they're not like judging you for it. Yeah. And it like still, I don't, I I don't remember the conversation to tell you what it was that I wanted to say, but like, it never, it never came back. Yeah. It never came back. And that's, like, the most frustrating thing. It feels like your brain is betraying you. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways. Anyways. So in the helicopter, helicopter, um, Talbot is bringing up... What is that? (laughs) Have you heard that that sound on TikTok? (laughs) No. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) That was, that was so specific. Sometimes when, like, you make a reference and I'm not sure what you're talking about, I just, like, let it go. But that was so specific. I'm like, okay, what am I missing here? <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know what it's from. There's just a sound on I'll on try TikTok. to find it. If you see a TikTok with it, send it to me. Okay, I will. <laughs> anyway, so in there, uh, Talbot is bringing up old missions that Hunter went on and all the awards and merits that he earned in order to find out why Hunter left the SAS to do mercenary work. Um, and the SAS is like the British version of like the American Air Force for anybody who didn't know because I didn't wow. know. Wow. Look at you looking up the fun facts. Yeah. Did that one for you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but Hunter just says that he met a girl. Hardly. Talbot, this is so fresh. Can't you give him, like, a second to mourn her? Jesus. But Talbot wants info on Coulson, and if Hunter doesn't give it, he will apparently get pushed out of the chopper into the ocean, or whatever body of water that they're over right now. (laughs) Hunter's like, are you joking? And Talbot says, I don't have a sense of humor. (laughs) No, buddy, I think you're very funny. I laugh at you all the time. Talbot is hilarious. Talbot is, like, one of my favorite villains ever. (laughs) Like, just, he is by far the funniest villain. For sure. (laughs) Well, and it seems like he's, like, genuinely trying to do what he believes is, like, a good thing, you know? Yeah. He's more annoying than anything. He's not evil by any means. He's an antagonist, not a villain. Yeah. Yeah. I should I should correct myself, but he like it there's something about that kind of character and that kind of person that they're so self-serious that it's like it's funny. Yeah. Like you are taking yourself so seriously, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yes. That's exactly right. <laughs> um so Talbot says that Colson is a vigilante who will risk anything to, quote, further his own agenda. But what finally gets to Hunter, or so it seems, is the people that have been sacrificed for Coulson's mission. Hunter implies that he'll talk for $2 million and a proper burial for Hartley. So Talbot agrees. Coulson is doing some, like, cool hologram stuff and tells the computer box thing. Is that the box that Fury gave him? Yes. That Nikki, I believe, <laughs> I believe, I'm not sure, <laughs> Nikki fucking Fury. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if they've referred to it as such yet, but I believe it is called the toolbox. Okay, cool. So he tells the toolbox, I assume, uh, to keep an eye out for the obelisk. But just then, Skye knocks on the door to let him know that Mac and Trip are working on cloaking, so she's available to go back in the field if needed, you know, just in case. Mm-hmm. Coulson says that May is out there already, so Skye doesn't need to go. And then he finally doesn't tell her that Hunter and Hartley aren't coming back and that Creel is to blame. And everybody keeps forgetting about Idaho. <laughs> Listen, I forgot about Idaho until I saw him again. I was like, okay, there's Xena Princess Warrior, there's fucking Hunter, and then, oh, that other guy. I forgot about him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only thing that anybody remembers about him is that he's from Idaho. So Yeah. Um. What, I, what I do remember is that the scene of his, like, dead, unseeing face under the headrest. That's that's what I remember of Idaho. Haunting. That's the only thing. Disturbing. Um, anyway, so Skye <laughs> insists on helping May take Creel down. But Coulson won't let her and won't give her any more information. He says if she really wants to help, she can go pack up Hartley's things. 
Sky agrees, but she says Coulson's compartmentalization is not healthy and he should try yoga to loosen up. And I'm not sure how yoga would help his compartmentalization problem, but okay. Um, <laughs> but Coulson says that he tried yoga and he wasn't that flexible. So, but thanks. I have also tried yoga and I am also not flexible. <laughs> like I have that thing where like I I say that thing as like it's like a common thing. I have fibromyalgia. I don't know if that's why I can't straighten out my leg, but like I'm trying to straighten out my and like my whole leg is shaking. (laughs) But I have very good balance. I'm very good at the balance part of yoga. That's good. But not at the stretching. (laughs) I tried, I've picked up doing like some super easy, like just morning 10 minute yoga routines just to like stretch my leg out since it's been um torn in half um but (laughs) but otherwise I don't do yoga yeah since I got I haven't technically been diagnosed with fibromyalgia yet it's more of like a soft diagnosis Mm -hmm. there will be checkups with my doctors and he'll probably run some more tests eventually but it's a soft diagnosis of fibromyalgia at the moment and so I, I need to like I have an empty drawer in the bathroom where I want to like build up a like pain management drawer like icy hot braces ace bandages yeah massage tools things like that That's and good. i've also been been scrolling the fibromyalgia subreddit <laughs> trying to find some tips there is truly a subreddit for everything there really really is and i put off making a reddit account for so long um but i'm i'm glad that i finally did because there's actually some good crowdsourcing of information there <laughs> um and i also learned why i fucking hate summer like like, I, I always used to joke that uh, because it's so hot down here in Louisiana, I get seasonal depression in summer. Me too. Because, like, I can't go outside. Like, yeah, I'll die. And fall and winter are where I thrive, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyways, I found out that uh, probably a big part of why summer is so hellish for me is because the heat does make your muscles and nerves swell. I don't know the exact science behind it, but like it presses on the nerves that are already like too sensitive or whatever. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, where were we? Thank you for sharing your medical history. Um, (laughs) Thank you. um, Okay, so down in the lab... Fitz is talking to Imaginary Simmons and lamenting over how he feels like he just can't keep up anymore. Imaginary Simmons agrees that nobody seems to have any patience anymore. It's ridiculous. She assures Fitz that the rest of the team knows how valuable he is and that they're not avoiding him. They're just focused on other problems right now, like Creel. But maybe he can help them neutralize Creel's powers since nobody has experience with powered people like Fitz Simmons. But, she says, they can't just hijack the project from them. It would shatter their confidence. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that this is Fitz's brain telling him this. (laughs) (laughs) That was literally the whole episode. I was like, he's so smart and he knows it. But it's like different parts of his brain are like, you're so smart. But what if I'm not? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was so... um... I I meant to make a note of it, but I'm pretty sure in that first scene with Fitz where, like, he's trying to get the words out and he can't, there's, like, a a sequence where he kind of, like, puts his hand on his shoulder and, like, turns to the side for, like, a split second and then he turns back. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to think that these conversations with imaginary Simmons are happening, like, in that moment. That's how, like, fast it is. Very interesting. (laughs) Well, and like I, some, because sometimes it's just like she just makes a little quip, you know. Yeah. But then sometimes he's he holds it for longer. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it was almost like he wasn't. Uh, his mouth was like almost moving, as though he was like talking to her. But yeah. like, I think maybe he doesn't talk to her out loud. He like talks to her in his head. Maybe sometimes. But like, they're all talking about. Oh, he's always talking to himself. You know. Mm. So I think I think a lot of the time he is talking out loud, and it is happening in like real time. But sometimes it might just be a little quick. Yeah. things it's just very interesting to think about yeah i love delving <laughs> into his mind <laughs> anyway but luckily someone just 
happened to leave some crucial research just laying around on the printer. So who would even notice if he just took a peek at Creel's DNA results? Hmm. Speaking of... Creel is at some country diner or something, and it looks like the obelisk is inside his forearm, which is disgusting. So the Halfway House Cafe that's seen in this episode is actually a real diner on the Sierra Highway outside Santa Clarita, California. I'm not sure if it's called the Halfway House Cafe. I didn't look that up, but it's not just like a set that they built. It's a real diner. Cool. I wonder what they (laughs) serve there in Santa Clarita. We We should look it up. I mean, probably not. Probably not the Santa Clarita diet, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Probably just diner food. Yeah, probably. Um, But, okay, I wonder if, like, if diner food varies where, depending on where you are in the U.S., you know? Maybe. Because, like, down here, diner food is, like, grits and fried chicken. And so I wonder what diner food in California and New York City look like. I always wonder. Anyway. (laughs) 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 Moving on. Um, so a server comes up and offers to clear the glasses and water pitcher off of his table. And okay, hang on. Before I continue, why did he have like four glasses there and an entire <laughs> pitcher of water? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a thirsty man. He was like, I need to use two glasses at once <laughs> to pour it into he's my mouth. He's double fisting glasses of water. He said, I'm extremely dehydrated and I don't have time to refill cups of water every single time. I mean, did you see the <laughs> cracked skin around, like, the obelisk part of You're his right. arm? Like, right. maybe he was, like, po- pouring water on his arm. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to turn his arm into water. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I wonder if he could. It's a substance. Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Anyway, <laughs> but something shocks her, and she drops everything, water splattering all over the table on him. But as she walks away, her skin starts turning black like Hartley's did, although much faster than Hartley's did. And within seconds, the woman's entire body is just charred. May heard the screams from outside and makes it inside just in time to tell the crowd not to touch her and to tell the woman hold on just before her face goes black. And the differences in like how fast like deaths happen on shows like this is always so interesting. Yeah. Because like Hartley touched the actual thing and it had time to like have a full conversation about whether or not to continue the mission and then be like carried into a car and then get miles down the road uh before they just like cut off her hand and then and then she was gonna be fine they were gonna have to get her to the hospital but like that stopped it from spreading any further but it had only gotten up to like halfway up her arm in that time and this woman she touched Creel and her entire body just like disintegrated within seconds. Hmm. That is like, that is something that I also notice and I don't have a good explanation for except for plot. The plot. (laughs) The plot. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) For the plot. And then I just (laughs) May telling her to hold on when it was like just her eyeballs left. I'm like, May, I love you. Come on. (laughs) Anyway, afterwards, May is outside the diner reporting to Coulson about the situation. They figure out that Creel must have absorbed the obelisk and is starting to lose control. They both want to blame themselves for not taking him out when they had the chance. But Coulson tells May to go dark and get back to the bunker as soon as possible. But just then, an alarm starts going off in the bunker showing a perimeter breach. It turns out it's Hunter, returning to the nest with a fancy new car that gets its wheels sliced open upon entry. (laughs) Hunter heads in to speak with Coulson after Trip pats him down, of course, obviously. And Hunter is pissed that Creel was allowed to get away. Coulson says that Hunter is not entitled to any answers. And Hunter says, I lost two friends. I think that's entitlement enough. And you know what? He's got him there. (laughs) But does he, though? A little bit. I don't know. I'm trying to remember, like, what specific reasons I didn't like Hunter the first time around. And I just, I don't know, I feel like he's just a whiny little bitch and he doesn't follow directions. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but, okay, if I, if you died because we were working a job together and then the, the, the person 
responsible for you dying on the job was allowed to get away by our boss, I'd be pretty pissed too. (laughs) And I would want to know why. Yeah. I guess so. I just, Hunter annoys me. And and he and Hartley were, like, in love. So this is more like if you or Aaron passed away on the job or something. Like, it. I feel like it's it's a lot more serious than than just, like, I want to know because I just want to, you know? Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Hunter sucks. And I'll find out later. <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I don't I just, know. I maybe, feel him on this one. <laughs> I just I I just really didn't like him the first go round. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Coulson shoots back that Hartley should have followed orders. And again, the Shield team seems to keep forgetting about Idaho. And I just... <laughs> he was just waiting in the car. <laughs> right? Did they not like him or something? Like he was told to wait in the car. Like. <laughs> They told him to, that he was following orders, and he still got killed. (laughs) Idaho. Justice for Idaho, man. Justice for Idaho. (laughs) That's going to be the hashtag on this one. Um, So Hunter's face falls, and he reveals that Hartley was trying to follow orders. Coulson asks about Talbot's deal, and Hunter says that he has 48 hours to deliver Coulson. Talbot had a security detail following Hunter that took him three hours to shake. Hunter could have led them straight to Coulson, but he didn't. Coulson asks what Hunter would be getting in return. He says a proper burial for Hartley and her record cleared and her family notified. Hunter knows that Coulson will get to Creel first and that's all he really cares about. So he wasn't going to give Coulson up immediately anyway. And besides, S.H.I.E.L.D. still owes Hunter, Hartley, and Idaho money for their work, which is another big one. (laughs) (laughs) Hunter says he wants Hartley and Idaho's pay as well to give to their families. And okay, I don't don't necessarily trust that he's going to get their money to their families. I feel like he'll probably give it, he'll probably do Hartley but I don't know about Idaho's. <laughs> He'll be like, who is this money for again? <laughs> um, but I am curious about the pay structure for this gig. Have they not been paid this whole time? How long have they been working for him? And where is the money supposed to go if the mercenary dies on the job? Like, is that incentive for S.H.I.E.L.D. to not get these mercenaries back from a dangerous mission if they don't have to pay dead people? Like, was that an option? <laughs> I doubt it with Coulson's shield, even yeah. if he's, you know, he's, he's still getting his land legs, yeah. but I don't know. With old it's, shield, it's, though? It's mercenary work, you know? I doubt that there's a, uh, like a, like a set in stone pay structure anyways. That, that was my next question is like, what's the pay structure for regular shield agents? Like, do they even get paid actual money or do they, they just live for That's free? That's the thing. I'm like... One, how are you flying coach? Where are you getting the money to fly coach? How are you avoiding fucking security cameras? Who's paying for this? Like, I just assumed, honestly, that, like, during this period of time, it was just S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who were doing it for, like, the love of the job. Like, I honestly assumed that they weren't getting paid. And, like, okay, for for some, for, like, some agents, okay, I get that, because if they're, they're getting free room and board, they're getting fed, they're getting fed very well actually <laughs> and they are like traveling all over and they don't have to pay for anything but like because they don't offer a service they don't get paid for the missions that they go on i don't know man. And, <laughs> and especially now they're not a government agency anymore <laughs> like where is that money coming from <laughs> anyway i have a lot of questions <laughs> I just want to know. Did the did do shield agents need to unionize? <laughs> anyway, uh Colson says he'll take care of it and I believe him and Hunter is satisfied with this. So, he says that as soon as they get Creel, he'll be in the wind. Or three sheets to it? Is that what he said? Yeah, like on a on a, on a ship sailing away. <laughs> I thought three sheets to the wind meant like shit-faced drunk. Oh, is it? I don't know. That's what I thought it was. Okay, but like, like Let's a, look it up. a ship that sails on the ocean usually has like three masts. So I was, I was picturing that, but like that could also be like come from like a pirate, like a pirate ship, you know. And pirates are usually drunk. <laughs> three sheets to the wind. The definition that comes up on Google just says drunk. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like my reasoning better. I think that it. I. I mean, I agree. Okay, that it, means it is. It is a nautical term. It is an. Okay. It is a nautical term. I. I feel like it's because pirates were on <laughs> ships <laughs> with with three masts. I don't know. It has something to do with like the sails. You're you're right about that, but it does mean drunk. Okay. <laughs> And I'm sure that's what Hunter meant. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> as soon as we get Creel, I'll go sailing. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, how else do you celebrate, you know? Um, anyway, in the lab, Fitz and Imaginary Simmons are discussing the current plan to neutralize Creel and how they can make it better. And I, I was a little confused what he means when he says, I didn't solve this today. And I was right because I said, does that mean he's remembering this problem happening before? And he was. <laughs> it like that's that that thing where he just keeps repeating that phrase over and over, even though like no one can understand what he means. Yeah. Like that was so relatable to me because yeah. there have been times where I've done something similar and people have gotten so frustrated because they're like, I don't know what you mean. Can you phrase it another way? And I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. You take what you get. <laughs> These are the words that I have. <laughs> um. So Mac interrupts to ask who Fitz is talking to. See, okay, so people saw him talking to himself. And the way that Simmons goes, me. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, that even in his mind, Simmons is fucking hilarious. <laughs> and... That they are both aware that she's not really there, you know? Or, well, she's not aware, but he is. Because he says, I'm, yeah. I'm talking myself. And she says, me. <laughs> so Matt keeps trying to, like, engage Fitz. But Fitz keeps getting distracted by Imaginary Simmons talking about how she likes Mac because he's acknowledging that Fitz is acting unusual. She likes the honesty. Finally, Imaginary Simmons convinces Fitz to show the Creel file to Mac, and Fitz repeats that he didn't solve this today. Mac gets excited at the possibility that Fitz thinks he can solve it at all. Mac is so sweet. Like, it really just takes one person to reach out to, like, cut through the loneliness. Because Truly. that is such a lonely feeling when, like, something in you has fundament fundamentally? Fundamentally. 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 Like, <laughs> something in you has fundamentally changed and, like, people are treating you like you're broken. Yeah. And it really just takes that one person to treat you like a normal person. To, yeah. like, to see you. you know, to make you feel like you're not invisible. Because, yeah. like, even though, like, some of the team is sort of trying to reach out, they still are treating him differently. Yeah. And that's... Even when people have the best of intentions, it's such a lonely feeling to be surrounded by people who want to reach you and don't know how. Yeah. And you know that they are treating you differently than they did before. Right. Yeah. Whew. I, you know, I didn't think that this episode was so heavy, but we keep getting onto heavy topics. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Hunter joins Sky as she is packing up Hartley's things. They talk about the photo that Hartley had on her bedside table of her and her sister. And Hunter explains that Hartley had a really good relationship with her family. And her sister was her best friend in the whole world. Which is so different from most of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who, like, cut themselves off from their family. I thought that that was an interesting yeah. contrast. Sky offers her condolences since she knows how hard it is to lose someone that you care about. Hunter says he usually tries to not just not get attached so it doesn't hurt when you lose them. And obviously that worked out. <laughs> Hunter says he thinks Sky could be successful as a mercenary. <clears throat> Private military contractor. Since she resembles Hartley so much. Sky says that she could never because S.H.I.E.L.D. is her life now. But Hunter gives her some sage wisdom. S.H.I.E.L.D. is not a life. It's a job. A means to an end. And this is very important advice in the non-MCU world. Unless you literally work for your family, your job is not your family. <laughs> you have to be replaceable there. That's how capitalism works. That's how a job works. <laughs> Listen, even if you literally work for your family, especially if you literally work for your family, you have to establish workplace boundaries and a work-life balance. Yes, absolutely. 
at work, you are not family. You're an employee yeah. or a boss or whatever your your job is. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're there, that's not your life. <laughs> anyway, after that. <laughs> so Creel runs back to his little mobile home and he rummages around in some tiny drawers and pulls out several different small items, trying and failing to change his arm into the substance that he's holding. And I thought that it was really interesting that he had, like, all these little samples of different substances. <laughs> like, <laughs> he had, like, a metal lighter. He had a he had a, a little a piece of cloth. Like, just a bunch of little things that he could hold and he could just carry around in these drawers. I thought that that was really cute. <laughs> it probably feels good. Sensory-seeking. I mean, they did say it was pleasurable so (laughs) anyway when none of them work he tries to contact his boss but they don't answer instead a phone planted in the wheel well of the truck starts ringing good evening mr creel we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty (laughs) it is whoever he was supposed to drop the obelisk off to they apparently never showed up and side note, now that I've been able to see Mac and Creel individually, like, close up, I literally don't know how I thought they were the same person. <laughs> they're both big and buff and bald, but they're literally different races. That's why it was so funny to me. <laughs> it was just like, know. there can't be two big buff guys. <laughs> That's ridiculous. In one scene, big he's just in the dark, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> He just looked tanner. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, Creel is freaking out because the obelisk is affecting him and his power so much. But the British guy just says that he just needs to finish the mission and then Hydra will take care of you like they always have. Which means he's going to die. I'm pretty sure. Creel hangs up and he throws the phone. And as he's about to redirect his anger onto some unsuspecting bystanders, Raina shows up. (gasps) Raina! That's it. That's it. <laughs> she says that there are things that they need to discuss. She knows about and is very interested in the obelisk. She offers him a piece of carbonite, which is made out of stardust and is super awesome, apparently. <laughs> Creel tries to scare her into leaving him alone by bringing up Hydra, but then his skin starts going black from the obelisk again. He gets embarrassed by his lack of intimidation, and he takes the carbonite from her and just goes back inside his trailer. I'd like to note here that Creel touches Raina in this scene and nothing happens to her. Oh, And he we does. get a little more of that later on, but it's just a nice little tease. Yeah, I didn't even notice. He does. He, like, grabs her shoulders. Very interesting. <laughs> so, May, Coulson, and Tripp are discussing the hopelessness of the Creel situation currently when Sky comes in and has found out that the Hydra communication frequency that they shut down has been active again. Someone left a message for S.H.I.E.L.D. with a phone number. Tripp says, is it Creel? What, is he lonely? And Skye says, doubt it. He's jacked. And he can turn any body part into any material. (laughs) Dildo fingers! Silicone dick! (laughs) I'm obsessed with her! (laughs) Skye! Oh my god! Skye! Wait, and then the Coulson was like... Thank you. Moving on. <laughs> Listen, if he wasn't evil, imagine he, imagine he could make bank. He really could. And you know what? I think he's made some bad decisions, but I think at the heart of it, he doesn't want to hurt people because he seems yeah. pretty scared once he's once he's like, he's like, I can't control this, you know? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but Anyways. he could. He could. <laughs> um, so they call the number and... <laughs> It's Raina, as I live and breathe. Queen. I love her new hairdo. Yeah, it's so cute. So she reveals that she is no longer working for Hydra, mostly because of their dental plan, um, but also because Hydra needs to get with the times. World domination, so 1945. (laughs) She has a point. Raina thinks that Coulson will be the most likely to understand the obelisk, just like Garrett did because of the symbols that he started drawing after being injected with the GH-325. She also reveals that the carbonite Creel stole has a tracker, and she wants S.H.I.E.L.D. to follow it so that they can catch Creel for her. She's so smart. I love her. I know. I so love this her. episode wasn't giving me much to work with, fun fact-wise, so... Hello, this is future Caroline, and I would just like to say that we missed a golden opportunity to say... 
Fun factually. Goodbye. I had to go out and find my own. Okay. So, in real life, carbonite does exist, but it's not it's not this. Carbonite okay. is an inorganic anion that forms a conjugate base of dihydroxymethylidine. Dihydroxymethylidine. Wow, that is a mouthful. Yes. I don't know what that means, but that's a thing. Carbonite was also the name of one of the earliest and most successful coal mining explosives. Nice. And that is made from ingredients like nitroglycerin, wood meal, and some nitrate as that of sodium. Also, nitrobenzene, saltpeter, sulfur, and diatomaceous earth. Interesting. That's also a thing. Those are words that I understand individually, sort of. (laughs) I know that saltpeter is like gunpowder. That's about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Essentially, like, carbonite was like dynamite. It's like... Sort of the same thing. But if you're a Star Wars fan, you might have heard the name Carbonite from Carbonite Freezing. Darth Vader and the Empire freeze Han Solo in a Carbonite casing and deliver him to Jabba the Hutt. Oh. And... In the Star Wars universe, carbonite freezing is based on the concept of cryonics, which involves freezing a living organism to keep it in suspended animation. Like Walt Disney. And the technology in real life is still (laughs) being researched and developed by scientists into a more sophisticated form. And now saying all that, it makes me wonder if carbonite here is a reference to Star Wars, because they do say that it's made of stardust. Yeah. It could be. That's interesting. That is very I do also think it's interesting that, like, all of the, like, real life and Star Wars meanings of carbonite, it's spelled with, like, the I. But yeah. in here, at least in the captions on Disney+, Plus, it's spelled with a Y. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if, um... They were like, that's what makes it made up, because we spelled it differently. <laughs> <laughs> But I wonder if, um, it didn't come up in my search for it, because I did search for it with a Y as well, Um, but it makes me wonder if there is a history with Carbonite in the Marvel comics. Maybe. Could be. That's interesting. Thank you, again, for going above and beyond with your fun facts. (laughs) That one was very fun. (laughs) (laughs) There's more where that came from. Oh, good. So the team starts to head out discussing battle plans. They think that if they can catch Creel <laughs> off guard, they can quickly take him out before he has a chance to change substance. Hunter catches up to them and he wants in. He finally convinces Coulson to let him come along in the field by bringing up Hartley. In the lab, Fitz is trying to get his thoughts out on Creel, but he's struggling. Mac finally sends everyone else away when Fitz sweeps everything off the table. He's like, beat it, you're pissing him off. <laughs> I love Mac. I love him so much. <laughs> um, Fitz can't stop saying that he didn't solve this today. And Mac finally understands that he solved this before in an old design. So Mac pulls up Fitz's pro- portfolio and starts flipping through until Fitz picks the one that he was trying to think of. Teamwork! Mac's nicknames for people are consistently the sweetest thing in the show. Add Turbo for Fitz to the list because it'll get extensive. Aww. Okay. We should actually start a list. All right. I'm going to do that right now. Jot it down. Actually, Fitz nicknames. (laughs) Well, Mac. Mac's nicknames. I want to just know, does he have, like, different nicknames for everybody? Or does he come up with, like, a million nicknames for each person? Um, he sort of has different, like, he has nicknames for everyone. Not everyone, but, like, a lot of different people on the team. Okay. But, so, he always calls Fitz Turbo? I think so. That's cute. I love that. So, in the field, May is Pice. Whoa. It's Pison. Pison out Isis. Pison out Isis. (laughs) In the field, May is passing out icers, and Hunter is disappointed that they're using the non-lethal option. Skye gets word from the lab about Fitz's idea, and then Creel has arrived at the drop point. Coulson gives orders for them to let the transaction happen, and then have May follow Creel, and Skye and Hunter follow the Hydra guy. But just then, Hunter shoots May and Skye with his icer. What the fuck? He goes to the building that Trip is sniping from and shoots him too, but not before we get an ah oh, hell no from Trip, which best part of the episode. Ugh. <laughs> 
Um, Creel is clearly frustrated with Hydra and he seems to want out. He's scared and he doesn't want to show it, but he wants out of this mission. But his boss just reminds him that Hydra rewards compliance and Creel takes a beat and then reluctantly agrees. But now Hunter is armed with Trip's real gun and takes the shot, but he pushed people out of the way enough for Creel to notice his presence a split second too soon and armor up. Hunter did not think past this part of his plan and fucking books it. <laughs> Creel following close behind. Fucking Hunter, I swear to God, this is the kind of shit that made me not like him the first go round. <laughs> he just didn't think it through. <laughs> Either be a liability and a whiny little bitch, you can't be both. <laughs> did you mean or? Maybe. <laughs> what did I say? You said be a liability and a whiny bitch. <laughs> and you can't be You know, both. I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it. Do it. I, okay, I'm going to be, I, I hope that I don't regret this, but I'm going to be a hunter apologist right now. I like him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he's a hothead. I think he sticks to his guns. And <laughs> I think... I'm really nervous about saying this also. <laughs> uh, is he, please tell me if he's a Nazi. I, I think you're safe on that front. Okay, thank God. At the very least. Okay, then I like him. I think he's fun. <laughs> he just doesn't think things through. He's a little dumb, but I like it when they're a little dumb, honestly. <laughs> he's, okay, he's very... He's, he's, he's very Dean Winchester. That's probably why I like him. I haven't seen the show, so I, know. I probably wouldn't like Dean Winchester. I'm going to put it out there. I think you would. You know what? I don't care. I don't know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Keep going. Okay. So the Hydra guy goes back for the box that Creel was delivering to him, but it's gone. Raina's taking it. She's fast as fuck, boy. My queen. I love her. She always gets what she wants. Always. Always. Creel catches up to Hunter, and just before Creel goes in for the kill, Coulson stabs him in the back with Fitz's device. It takes Creel through, like, every substance that he's turned into until it stops on the obelisk, and Creel falls to the ground as a charred husk. So dramatic. <laughs> it was beautiful, honestly. So Coulson looks at Hunter and says refers to when Hunter gave his scouts honor and says, you were never a Boy Scout, were you? Are the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts a thing in the UK? <laughs> so it turns out that Boy Scouts started in Great Britain. Really? Which I guess goes to show like how US centric our like media and I don't know when I would have learned yeah. like the history of the Boy Scouts, right. but the Boy Scout movement was founded in Great Britain in 1908 by a cavalry officer, Lieutenant General Robert S.S. Baden-Powell. Um, he had written a book called Scouting for Boys that came out in 1908. Ew. And the <laughs> What? <laughs> I think it was more along the lines of teaching boys to scout. <laughs> Scouting for boys. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> the book described many games and contests that he had used to train cavalry troops in scouting, and it became popular reading among young boys of Great Britain. And prior to the book's publication, Baden-Powell held an experimental camp on Brown Sea Island off of the coast of southern England, in which he put into practice his ideas on the training of boys. Okay, you Which also sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> um... The British Boy Scouts was founded in 1908 as the Battersea Boy Scouts, a local association of scout troops. The Battersea Boy Scouts later briefly registered with Baden-Powell's Boy Scouts organization, but in 1909, it withdrew and formed the British Boy Scouts out of a concern that Baden-Powell's organization was too bureaucratic and militaristic and too closely associated with commercial interests. And the BBS was launched as a national organization on Empire Day, uh, May 24th, 1909. We do not stand the British Empire, nope. but we do stand the British Boy Scouts pulling out of the Boy Scouts organization because it's too militaristic. Absolutely. And then we <laughs> brought it back over here. We brought it over to America and we did the same fucking thing. <laughs> uh, 
Um, did, okay, but I feel like the Girl Scouts probably started in America. That seems like an American thing. Maybe so. I'm not sure. I didn't look that one up. Because there was probably, there was probably only, you know what, I feel like I remember that from my Girl Scout days. I feel like I remember because it was like, there was only Boy Scouts. The only Scouts were Boy Scouts. And then there was like a group, I want to say in like the 70s or something, that was like, girls want to be Scouts too. <laughs> And so they made the Girl Scouts. Future Caroline here. So Robert Baden-Powell was also interested in starting a scout organization for girls when he noticed that there were a lot of girls trying to crash a Boy Scouts meeting in 1909. Uh, So he and his sister Agnes tried to start the Girl Guides in England and Scotland, but it was met with some resistance because there were societal concerns about girls being mannish or overly interested in sports, games, or activities inappropriate for their gender. But in the U.S., the women's suffrage movement was already taking hold, so the Baden-Powells met with Juliet Gordon Lowe, who changed the name to Girl Scouts when she brought the idea to Savannah, Georgia in 1912, which is before women had the right to vote in America, and I think that's pretty fucking cool. Okay, bye. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But that was that was something that like blew my mind. I yeah had never. I thought that Boy Scouts was an American thing. I don't know why did I say yeah. American like that. Did you hear that? American, 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 American thing. It was American. It's American thing. <laughs> you know the American the the pubic like a wig. Bag. Birkin bag. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Wait. Oh my god. Oh my god. Someone, someone, I need a drawing of a rich high society woman carrying around a Merkin bag that is like a Birkin bag, but it's made out of a pubic hair wig. Please, someone draw that and send it to at Agent Nothing Pod on Twitter. I'm so sorry, and you're welcome. I've been up for a long time. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I gotta go. I gotta go. My gotta, gotta, gotta we go. We gotta go. We gotta get on. Uh. <laughs> so, <laughs> later, Hunter, I gotta be serious for this moment, actually. Sorry. Later. <laughs> we always do this. Later, Hunter watches Hartley's funeral from a distance and then breaks into Hartley's sister's car, of course, as you do at a funeral, to place their mom's necklace on the rearview mirror, which is actually a very sweet gesture, uh, minus the breaking into her car thing. I would be so freaked out, though. I think it was a No ghost. explanation. I'd be like, oh my god, my sister's here. <laughs> Colson catches him, though. And apparently Colson arranged for this funeral since Hunter didn't complete Talbot's deal. Colson is grateful for Hunter's integrity, and even though Hunter shot three S.H.I.E.L.D. agents with icers, including May, yikes, he's gonna pay for that. <laughs> Um, Coulson offers him a permanent position in S.H.I.E.L.D. Coulson says, I need skilled agents who are willing to do the wrong thing for the right reason. And I need you because I can't be you anymore. And you know what? I think that's, that's a big part of reason why I like Hunter as well. Maybe. I don't know. Now I'm making stuff up just to, just to go against what, I don't that know. you don't like him. You, you're, you're allowed to like him. You're allowed to like him. Okay. That's fine. I just, he just very much annoyed me the first few times <laughs> I watched him. Does he still annoy you? Yeah. I still, I still watch this episode, especially the part, like, it, it, it pissed me off that, like, okay, if you're gonna do all that and you want to be the one to shoot Creel, sure, whatever, why couldn't you still shoot it from where Trip was? You're right. Why did you have to go close range? I thought that too. I'm like... (laughs) He already had a shot. (laughs) And I'm sure Trip had it, like, set up too. Yeah. You probably didn't even have to move it. Just pull the trigger, you motherfucker. (laughs) Anyways. Anyway, so after a little convincing, Hunter agrees... Coulson says he just needs one favor from Hunter first before they start working together. He needs Hunter to sell him out. (laughs) So Mac and Fitz are going over the device that they recreated. And Fitz is trying to get Mac to read his mind like Simmons does. And Mac clocks it right away. He says that he's heard good things about Simmons and that it must have been really hard for Fitz to lose a partner like that. And so they're talking and it's so cute and I love that they're friends. I want them to be good friends. I want them to be best friends. (laughs) So Skye and May are watching Fitz and Mac talking and they're relieved that Fitz is actually talking to a person that they can see for once. 
but it's still hard to witness how much Fitz has changed. All of them, really, even Coulson. May tries to defend Coulson's recent, more secretive habits, but Skye is a little bitter that he doesn't ever seem to talk to her anymore like he used to, and she's worried that something's wrong with him. May insists that there isn't, but immediately... We cut to May scolding Coulson for going into the field. And first of all, can we talk about how fucking beautiful Ming looked in this scene? I mean, holy shit, that close-up, I was blown away. Took my breath away. Woo! Just thinking about it. <laughs> um, and Coulson is sitting like he has the flu or something. He's, like, huddled up. He looked like a little kid to me, almost. He did. His, his shoulders, like, hunched. Yeah. May says that it's been 18 days since Coulson's last episode, so he is overdue, and he should stop fighting it. So they start preparing the room, drawing the blinds, laying out a tarp, getting comfortable. Coulson goes to the wall and starts carving the obelisk symbols, while May takes pictures and documents them. Reyna is admiring the obelisk when a man comes in the room and says that she did well. He looks like Chandler Bing, and according to the Disney Plus close <laughs> captioning, his name is what Max from Hocus Pocus calls boobs, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> he so he's actually um, Kyle MacLachlan. He was one of like the main actors on Twin Peaks back in the day. Oh, I never saw that. Me neither. But I know okay. that that was also a big, a big deal in, in nerd them. circles. Like every time there was like a big name announced that like this person's gonna be on Agents of Shield, and nine times out of ten would be like, I don't know who that is. Awesome, <laughs> fantastic, <laughs> congratulations! But he does to great. Him. He does yeah. great. <laughs> he tells Reyna to pick up the obelisk to prove that, it, that it's authentic, but the thing doesn't kill her. It just lights up along the symbols and then goes back to normal. She says that it worked and she's so excited, but he says that it just let her live. She begs for him to show her, and he says that he will, but only if she brings him his daughter. And, wow, Sky's dad sucks. <laughs> LOL. I wish I could say more, but all I will say is LOL. <laughs> I hope for Sky's sake that he doesn't suck, but I hope for the sake of me being right that he does. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time for the post-content content. Colson <laughs> meets Talbot in an empty field, in the same empty field where Talbot picked up Hunter. Colson calls him Glenn, and Talbot says, don't call him that. Um, <laughs> you don't need to be embarrassed. It's a perfectly it's fine a good name. name. It's a good name. It's fine. He just doesn't want to be on a first name basis, but you know what? They know each other this well at this point. And I'm pretty sure he calls him Phil. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyways. It's just Glenn being Glenn, you know? Silly Glenn. <laughs> so Talbot asks for Hunter, but Coulson says Hunter is busy watching Cake Boss. And holy shit, do you remember that show? <laughs> <laughs> that seems like so long ago. Um, Coulson offers Talbot an olive branch in Carl Creel. He says he's not dead, he's turned to stone, but he could always do that, so I'm not sure how long it'll hold. <laughs> Coulson offers a new deal. S.H.I.E.L.D. will keep delivering prisoners like Creel, and Talbot can keep taking credit for it, as long as they get off S.H.I.E.L.D.'s back. Talbot laughs it off, not believing that Coulson and his band of misfits has the artillery to be of any consequence. So Coulson signals for the bus to reveal itself in the sky, and it decloaks. And then Coulson gets onto the stolen Quinjet that materializes on the ground right next to Talbot and his soldiers. And I thought it was so funny that like the wing of the jet was like almost touching one of the, one of the SUVs. <laughs> so like they just happened to like drive around it on accident. <laughs> I don't know why, but that was really funny to me. Anyway, so both aircrafts fly off and Talbot is left to scratch his head and his mustache. All right. Overall thoughts. What have you got? So I I really liked the character building of Hunter, and I really hope that I can like Hunter. I want to like him really bad. <laughs> You're allowed. <laughs> I'm scared, though. I <laughs> I'm scared I'm going to have my heart broken. <laughs> and also, I feel like this was like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s version of a fluff episode. 
And yet it's like, it's clearly still driving the plot forward. Like it's a good episode, but you know, I guess not every episode can be brain meltingly good. Yeah. It was a really sparse episode. I feel like I like, I didn't take a lot of notes and I like, there weren't a lot of fun facts to be found on Wikipedia or IMDb or anything. You did a good job. Thank you. But some spare uh, fun facts that I did find. The title of this episode obviously is a popular rephrasing of a famous line from Shakespeare's Henry IV. The original line is, uneasy is the head that wears a crown. And it refers to stress that comes from leadership and the responsibility of making hard decisions. Which I think is, it's a really cool, like, really good name for the episode. Yeah, I like all the names of the episodes. Yeah. And this is the first episode of the series so far to not feature or credit Brett Dalton as Grant Ward. He wasn't in this episode. I have mixed feelings about that. Because I love Brett Dalton. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You'll get more. I promise. Okay. As long as I get to hate Ward somewhere, because that's fun. <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes our episode on season two, episode two, Heavy is the Head. If you want to keep up with us, you can follow us on TikTok at Agents of Nothing Podcast, on Twitter at Agent Nothing Pod, and on Instagram at Agents of Nothing Podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash agents of nothing and subscribe to us for $2.99 a month for special bonus content. And you can email us at agents of nothing podcast at gmail.com and we may just read it on the show. If you want to find me, Mariah, I'm on Twitter at full swamp witch underscore, on TikTok at submarine warfare, and on Instagram at submarine warfare. And you can follow me, Caroline, on Twitter at rustypage95 on Instagram at underscore Rusty Page, or on TikTok at CrazyGender995. Next week, we'll be covering Season 2, Episode 3, Making Friends and Influencing People, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, that sounds crazy informative. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye! Bye, love you! <laughs>